Hey, we're going to talk about marriage today. And um, uh, at Harvest Point, we have said one of our missions, one of our visions is that we want to build strong families. And you can't build strong families if you don't build strong marriages. And so we're going to take a whole day today to talk about how to be strong in our marriages. Now, before I, before I uh, dive into that, let me just kind of point out a couple of things. Have you noticed when you go shopping, how many things there are these days that they make disposable that didn't used to be disposable? I mean, beyond just disposable razors these days, they're disposable. You just cameras, you use a camera, and then you can print off the pictures and throw it away. There's so many things. And uh, last night, I had the honor of standing before a young couple and doing their wedding ceremony. And during that wedding ceremony, um, it was a joyous occasion, but, you know, there was a theme that ran in it. And here's the theme. The theme was that this is a covenant that is forever. It's for your whole life. This isn't something that, that has an out clause. This is something that when you make that promise, you make that vow, you are doing it for the rest of your days. There's no escape hatch. God says he hates divorce, so we are going to press on no matter what we go through. And so um, a lady came up to me while I was eating dinner. It was a dinner kind of thing. I was eating my barbecue plate. A lady came up to me, and she said, and she was very complimentary. She said, I appreciated so much your words to that young couple. And she said, I'd like to tell you that every wedding I went to, I heard that kind of challenge that said, you know what? You're in this through the thick and the thin. Go ahead today and say, we are going to make this thing work for decades and for our life. And she said, but I don't hear that a lot. And she said, it's, it's just a, a lot of the time you see more and more couples that make their vows, but then they don't run the journey, you know. And then she looked at me and she said, my husband and I celebrated 50 years last month. And um, I thought that was awesome. And then I also at the same time, though, my wife and I, we've been married about 23 years. And I remember thinking, we've got so long before we get to 50, you know. But guys, here's the deal. I, when it comes to marriage, marriage is God's plan, God's intention. It's God's institution. We're going to read those very words out of the Bible this morning, that it's part of God's plan, His design. And I don't know about you. I have a feeling that you're like me, though. You don't want the disposable marriage, you know. You want the marriage that's described of in the Bible. You want that kind of marriage. Um, so for me, I was thinking about this week. You know, what I want in a marriage is I want a marriage for me and Julie that is, that is something that we are trying to work at daily. Not something that we work at every once in a while, but something that we're growing in daily. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have gray moments or cloudy skies or stormy days, but it means that we're working in our marriage daily. I want, I want something that's not short-lived. I want decades. I want something that is durable, not disposable. And I want something that's deep. Last night as I challenged that couple, and I know they're probably looking at me like I'm weird. I'm standing there with the Bible, and I'm, 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 I'm doing their wedding, and I told them, I want you to think of your marriage like a submarine. You're going to go deep, and you're going to go together, you know? And I challenged them to hit the, the, hit the escape hatch button now and say, no divorce for us. We're going to go deep, and we're going to do this thing God's way. And I was just thinking this week, you know, that's, that's a bunch of D words, I know, but I want a daily marriage. I want a decades marriage. You know, I want, a, I want a dependable, durable marriage, not the disposable marriage. And I want a deep marriage. And I don't, if you're anything like me, that's what I want. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do you grow stronger in your marriage? Now, some of you guys, you've been married a lot longer than me. Some of you guys have been married a lot 
a lot shorter than me. Some of you guys are thinking one day you might get married. Some of you guys are worried one day you might get married, you know. But here's the deal. What I'm going to be teaching from God's Word today is um, some relational tools for how you get stronger in relationship. And so if you're a single person here today, even though you're going to hear me talk a lot about marriage, you can apply everything that I'm teaching you today to other relationships in your life. So don't unplug when we start studying God's Word in the next few minutes. This will, the stuff that I'm going to be teaching out of God's Word today is applicable for any relationship, but especially for a romantic relationship, a marriage. So we're going to dive in and dive deep together. But here's the deal. Um, I want to begin our study today with prayer. As I guide you in prayer, I just wonder if you, uh, no matter how old you are, young, old, uh, where you're at in your life, I wonder if you'd say, God, if you have a word for me today, I'm open to it. What's your word for me today? See, here at this church, here's what we believe. We believe, and we put it as number one on our value list, we believe God's word transforms not only our personal lives, but it transforms our corporate life together. Let me say that a little differently. Today I'm going to be sharing a word to all of us, but God has a rhema, that's a Greek word that means a very personal word for you. Would you be open to receiving whatever God's word is to you today? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we know this about you. Your word is life. And today we're going to give ourselves a study in your word, and we invite you. We are open to you speaking your word into our world. You know all about us. You know every day we've got before us, and you know our family. You know, you know our desires and our hopes and passions. We are open today for your word because the Bible says when you sent forth your word, you healed all their diseases and that means for us, one word from you will change us. One word from you will bring life. One word planted deep in us, Lord, will bloom life in our family and in our souls. So today, Lord, like you did on, a, on, the, on the beaches of the Sea of Galilee or like you did on the temple steps in Jerusalem, today, plant seeds in your people. We are here to hear your word and to, to let your word dwell deep in us. We're open. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you to grab that outline, and hopefully you've got your Bible or maybe your technology device as you're going to be reading Scripture with me this morning. And I just want to invite you to uh, take that outline out as well, and I'm going to be getting you to kind of fill in some blanks, maybe underline some Scriptures and kind of focusing in on the Word we're going to be studying together. Now, today I want to talk to you about six things, okay? Now, let's be honest. I've gone to marriage conferences, and we spent, we spent days and days on a lot of different topics. So this, this subject of marriage and relationships is huge. Today, I'm going to try to narrow some stuff down to six things, and I want to talk to you about getting stronger, and, and at the end of the day, I'm going to ask you which one of these six is the most important thing that you could do to get stronger, okay? Now, these are, in essence, what I would call patterns or principles to kind of build in your, your marriage relationship or, or in, in, your, in your life. So patterns or principles, these are the things I'm going to be challenging you towards today. So that first one, go ahead and let's fill in the blank there, if you will. It all begins with taking responsibility for your own emotional and spiritual health. I'll say that in a shorter way. Be a grower. Take responsibility for your own health, your own spiritual health, your own, your own emotional health. Be and commit to being a grower 
You know, we've said here at Harvest Point, our number seven core value, our number seven core value is we value maturity, and, and we believe that one of God's plans for us is that we would never stop growing. That it is the norm for us is that we would all, not some of us, the norm is that we would all grow up to become like Jesus. So here's the deal. If you, there's, there's no reason to start anywhere else except to start with you, with, with me, right, with you. Start with you and commit yourself to being a grower. Now, here's what you know already. You already know this intuitively. Every newly wedded couple, every couple that walks to the altar and gets ready and exchanges the rings and makes the vows, and you know, how, you know what they think is going to happen after they get married? They think they're going to change that other person, right? But every seasoned person who's been married for any length of time, they know a different truth. They know that the only person you can change is who? You. You can only change yourself, right? And so what we need to commit to at the very beginning, if we're going to get stronger, is doing a little internal examination of ourselves. Are we growing? Now, what, read with me the pattern for what Jesus was talking about when he talked about marriage. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was talking about the way God's design is for a man and a woman to be together. Jesus said these words, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You might want to underline this part. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. So Jesus was saying that here's God's ultimate plan for a marriage, that these two folks would be united together in some mystical, cosmic way, and they would become one flesh. Now, of course, we learn later on from Paul that this can even be seen in the way that Jesus is united with his bride, and the two will be made one flesh together, Jesus and his church. But when we talk about a husband and wife, I want you to think about that, something you may have never thought about. Jesus says the husband would leave the mom and dad, unite with his wife, and the two become one. Now, before we get to the become one thing, let's go back to the two, okay? Now, one of the things that's very important is that when you think about who the two are that are going to become one, in order for the two to become one, they have to have been two, all right? Now, what, does that, what are you saying, Stephen? You have, you have to think of yourself as one of those, and are you fully and emotionally healthy? Are you really completely a one? See, sometimes, sometimes we, we, we don't really commit ourselves to being a grower, and we're not in a pattern of growth, and we're not sometimes in healthy spiritual places, healthy emotional places. And to be honest with you, we might consider ourselves, if we were really honest, less than one of those. And I think what Jesus is saying is the goal of a marriage is that these two people Two people would become one. Now, if you want to be one, you really want to be one, you've got to commit to being a fully healthy person on your side to be a part of that marriage. You can't control the other side. You have to commit to being a grower. So the goal of our marriage is that we would become one. And, and in the most beautiful way, as I stood there yesterday with Taryn and Graham, the goal is that Taryn would never stop growing, Graham would never stop growing, and together they would grow closer and closer to be like Jesus together and to being one in that relationship. So my question for you is, is at the very beginning, how, how healthy are you? 
Are you doing the things you need to? Now, hey, listen, maybe I'm preaching the choir. You're in church this morning, right? You are in a growth place. You've brought yourself to a place where you can study with other Christ followers, and you can study God's Word and grow. So that's awesome. That's at least one check mark you can give yourself, right? But here's another one. Do you practice every week, that, I mean, every day, that little thing that I talk about, you know, 15 minutes in a chair and your Bible? That 15 minutes in a chair and your Bible can transform you and help you to be a more healthy emotional person and spiritual person. And here, here's another test. Real quickly, I, I put it in your outline there, Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is a, is a description of people who are growing in health with the fruit of the Spirit inside them. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. As I read these words, I want you to think, is this you? Are you, are you growing? Are you, is this a good description of you? Are you a loving person? Are you a joyful person? Are you a person of peace? Are you a person of patience or forbearance? Are you a person who is kind? Now, I know that's such a simple question, isn't it? But, hey, listen, we're talking about where do you start? You start with you. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to be stronger, for somebody in this place today, and this may be a lot of us, it starts, right? You, you know, when you're done today and we've covered all six, you're going to go, hey, number one was my place. I haven't been growing like I need to grow. And if I'm going to be stronger in my marriage, I have got to continue to grow to be a stronger person of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It starts with you committing to be a grower. Now, here's the second one. Write this one down. Six patterns, six principles that I want to talk to you about today. The second one is investing your best time and energy. Investing your best time and energy. Now, let me say that a little differently. No marriage is going to get stronger by accident. And no marriage is going to get stronger by feeding on leftovers, on just your leftover energy or your leftover time. And so what my wife and I have learned is that we have had to draw some lines in the sand, and we do that from time to time, even in different ways. I'll say that a little differently. Boundaries help. Boundaries uh, of just life, how much we work, when we work, and what, what we do when we're together, uh, when we can get a date night. We have to draw some lines in the sand that say, hey, you know what? We, if we do it just the way the world wants us to do it, then we're going to give our best time and energy to our job. And we're going to give our best time and energy to the other things that we want to do. And we're going to end up giving the leftovers to our marriage. And I want you to think about that. What would it look like for you to get stronger by making sure that you were giving your best time and your best energy to one of the people that you've made the most important covenant to on the planet? How could you give them your best time and your best energy? Now, I've written down a few bullet points there, and I just wanted to address some of those together because these are some of the things that I've found in my own marriage that help me make sure I'm trying to give my best time and my best energy. The first one is memory making. Now, what do you, what do you mean by that, Stephen? Well, for me, memory making is uh, making sure that we are doing things as a family that we are going to remember for the rest of our life. This past, just, just a couple weeks ago, I got off spring break with my family. Now, we have done a lot of trips as a family. But we, we've been to D.C., we've been to Cape Cod, we've been to New York, we've been to Florida, we've been all over the map. But we said, you know, here's another spring break opportunity. Are we just going to do the things we've done before or are we going to do something a little differently? 
And we know we've got, you know, uh, Andrew's about to graduate from high school. Alex is a sophomore. We're only going to have these kids in our house a little while longer. Let's make sure. So we went out. We planned a trip, and we went to some little podunk place called Branson, Missouri, you know. And we literally drove out there going, what is in Missouri? I mean, now this is, we, we had no idea. And I'm quite, I'm be honest, I was driving and I was praying because I thought this could be a big bust. It really could be. Big, fat bust. And we got out there and, and there was hokey stuff. Yeah, it was cowboys and boots and everything else, you know, that don't necessarily fit my family. But can I just tell you, we had a blast of a time. Driving back, we, met, we had made memories. We had ziplined through canyons. We had gone to shows. We had, we had made memories. And I, and I want to remind you, let me, let me say it a diff- differently. Sometimes in a marriage, we forget who we really are. We forget, and we start giving our best time and energy to our work and to other things, and we forget that chiefly we are lovers. Chiefly we are writing the love story of our life. Now, here's how you forget. You, you forget, and you start looking at yourselves like we're business partners, okay? We're business partners, or we're co-child care workers, you know? We're taking care of the kids, you know? And it can become about the stuff that you do. It can become about the to-do lists and all of the objectives that you're trying to accomplish. And you can forget that you're writing the love story of your life. And you've got to make sure you're making memories and you're giving each other your best time and your best Energy. Look at that next little bullet point, little changes. Little changes. Stephen, what in the world do you mean by little changes? Well, well, here I'm kind of talking about time uh, and little changes in your schedule. You know, for example, I've noticed from my wife that, um, that, her, that her gas tank, her love tank starts to fill up when the kids are gone and there's no kids in the room. And that may kind of sound mean, but you know what? I, I thought that I could spend time with my wife and her love tank would move if we were, had the kids, you know, with us. But I noticed when, they, when, when, I went, when the kids went to bed and the kids were gone, the house got quiet, and if I cut the TV off and we just spent some time communicating and I spent a little bit of quality time, and that's just a little small change, all of a sudden my wife's love tank started to fill up. She felt loved. She felt validated. She felt like she got Stephen time when I give a lot of Stephen time to other people. And what I'm saying to you is, I don't know what little changes you could make in your relationship, but you know what? A little bitty change, like what you do when you walk in the house at the end of a long day, a little small thing, that, what's the first thing you do when you walk in the house at the end of a long day? If you could make a little change like that, that could make a big difference in your marriage. Make sure you're giving your best time and your best energy don't come home and just kick your shoes off and go, now, shutting the world out. Now I'm, I'm going to give me a little me time. No, it means giving your other person your best time and your energy. Look at that next one, asking great questions. Um, asking great questions. I've learned this. I bet you've learned this. We get in a routine of asking the same boring questions a lot. How was your day? How are you doing? We ask that to regular people, right? But we start asking that in our marriage, and we don't really dig deeper. I had a little moment <laughs> this uh, last couple of weeks, and I've been get, getting ready to preach this message. I had a little moment, and it was a confrontation with me. My wife and I went out to a, a, a restaurant, and we had one of our kids with us, just one of them with us, and we went to a new restaurant, and it wasn't a restaurant that we would normally go to, but it was the mother of one of my, my wife's a teacher, and she has a student, and we went to um, uh, that restaurant owned by uh, that little boy. And when we walked in, my wife uh, teaches small children. When we walked in, there was that little kindergartner little boy. He looked at my wife, Miss Usri, you know, and she, he was so excited. Well, we order our food, and, and we, we're waiting on our food. We're at the table, and guess who comes and sits with us? 
He comes and sits with us. Now, this is cool, you know, but I can tell this little boy, his mind goes so fast. I mean, he's like, I mean, I'm like, I'm intrigued by this little boy. I don't get to spend a lot of time around little children, and little children, they can be wild wires. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. And I started having a blast. I started asking this little kid questions. I started saying, Who is, who's your favorite cartoon character? SpongeBob SquarePants. You know, and he started, and, he, and then all of a sudden, I started realizing, oh, I can set this up how I want to, you know. And I started asking him questions, and I finally popped one. Who's your favorite teacher? And my wife's sitting right there, you know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm and, Anyway, I had, the, I had a blast. I asked great questions for the next few minutes about that little boy. Man, he, uh, we had a blast. And then that night, I was going to bed. I was praying. I knew I was preaching this message, and I had God confront me. And that's part of the reason I put that whole ask good questions on there. I felt like God said, you remember when you used to do that with Julie? You remember when you used to sit down there and you used to say, what are your dreams and what are your hopes or what was the best part of your day or what was the worst part of your day today? And you just explored with a lot better questions that actually took you somewhere in your conversation instead of those, how are you doing and what, what do we got to do tomorrow, instead of those kind of questions. And so I want to tell you, you want to grow stronger? Think about the questions you're really asking. Hey, men, this should be one of our responsibilities. Let's step up and let's ask great questions and dig into our wives' lives. And then the last one, um, Making big memories and making little changes can make a big difference and asking great questions. And, and, and the last thing I would say is just talking more, talking more. You know, when a couple comes in to me to get counseling from me and, and they're close to the, you know, calling it quits and they're quote, close to hitting that button, that, that eject button that's called divorce, and they come in and they need help, it's in those moments that I always find out one thing, and, and I hope you'll listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. It's in those moments... I'll find out that one of two situations has happened in their marriage. They have gotten either to the place where they are screaming at each other and they're not talking anymore, or they've gotten to the place where they're not talking at all, and it's very silent. And one of the things I know for sure, listen carefully, is silence kills marriages. Silence and distance, you might want to write that down somewhere because it's worth it. Silence and distance kills a marriage. So I would encourage you, you want to be stronger? I mean, just think about what it would take in your marriage to talk more, to talk more. For you, that might mean grabbing a couple of glasses and heading out on the back deck and, and just sitting under the stars and remembering you're writing the love story of your life. And go back there and make a little change and ask some great questions and talk more because silence and distance kills, kills relationships. It reminds me of that song. Have you heard that song on the radio? It's kind of old now, but it was out a little while ago. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Remember that song? Say something, I'm giving up on you. That very song is the essence of what I'm talking about here. Silence and distance, it kills a marriage and it kills a relationship. Make sure that you're saying something in your marriage. Got this one, write this one down. Number three, uh, third one is uh, I want to challenge you to make sure that you ask for help. You're asking for help. Now, in your margin, I didn't, I didn't give you this in your margin, but would you write two words in your margin there when it comes to asking for help? Write two C words. Write counselor and write the word community. Write counselor and community. And what, what I'm saying here is whenever you're going through a difficult moment in your marriage, don't be afraid to ask for help. Now, let's address the counselor thing first. For some reason, there is a stigma, even in the church, for people to talk about, uh, maybe we should go see a counselor. And, and this is ridiculous, and I'm going to explain why. 
but I just want to confess it up front and kind of acknowledge it up front. There is a stigma sometimes about going to see a counselor and actually getting help. And here's what the stigma is all about. Well, if we've got to go to a counselor, something must be wrong with us, and, and it's all about us. But let me tell you what that, what that invalidates. Some of my best friends in ministries are Christian counselors. Their ministry is not like my ministry. They were called by God the same way I was, but they felt called to go into a counseling ministry. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, all right? And, and I know you're probably going to say, oh, that's my pastor. I really didn't know that. I'm going to tell you, I'm not the best counselor in the world, okay? I've taken counseling classes, but if I've got to do a counseling session about more than twice, I am like snooze fest over there. I'm like, oh, you're killing me, you know? Why? Because I, I wasn't really called to a ministry of counseling. I give people wisdom and counsel when they come. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying don't come because a lot of you... You need to come. But, um, but, but what, I, what I'm saying is, listen, there are people who walk with God, called by God, and their life ministry is the ministry of counseling. And you know what I want to be? I want to be the kind of person who leads the kind of church that says, we ain't got a stigma about counseling around this place. We believe that's a ministry of God. And we are not afraid to get help. I want to have that kind of church that says we're not afraid to get help. And whether that's professional counseling or that other C word I asked, I invited you to write down is community. You know, we've got small groups tonight at, um, up in the Eagles Landing area. Five o'clock tonight, I'm going to be sitting around some great folks who we share life struggles. We share, we share life victories together. We're going to eat some great food. We're going to open the Bible together. and We're going to talk about life together. And I think it's really important that you have a group like that where you can just grow and you can ask for help, you can ask for prayer, and you can just be yourself. We've got groups like that here at Harvest Point. We want to help you, but you can't be afraid of counselors and you can't be afraid of community. And I, I just want to invite you, whenever you're going through a hard time, listen, don't be afraid to get help. One time Jesus was ministering and he was walking by this group. There's a whole bunch of people who were sick and lame. And Jesus uh, saw one and he found out the backstory behind this guy. And this guy had been lame for years and years. And the Bible says Jesus had such compassion on him. He looked at the guy and, and read it with me. Um, it's, it's right there in John 5, 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? You might want to underline that because that's the question of the day for somebody in this room where your marriage is not what, what it really needs to be and you really do need to say, you know, either with counseling, somebody in ministry to do counseling or, or in ministry with community, you know, in community here at this church, if we're going to get stronger, we need to come alongside some healthy people and we need to ask for some help. Do you want to get well? And that guy said yes, and it led towards his healing. You've got to be willing to say yes, I want to get well. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to say, hey, I need some help. Hey, last word around this point number three. Um, we want to build strong marriages, right? We want to build strong families. We are here for you. We are here for your marriage. I am employed full time. You pay my salary. I I am employed full-time to be here for you. So we're here for you. And if you need help, listen, make an appointment. We'll shut the door. It's confidential, and I don't break confidences. We can help you. If you need help, don't be afraid to ask for help. Because at the end of the day, here's the deal. We are in this together. We're in this thing 
together. You got this one? Write this down. Four. Number four. Number four is very, very important. Protect your marriage. Protect your marriage with healthy boundaries. You might even want to put that as a little, kind of a little side note. Protect your marriage with healthy boundaries. Now, nobody gets married and they make a plan to mess up, okay? Last night as I was doing that wedding and I had Taryn and Graham there, neither one of them is, is sitting there making those vows and thinking to themselves, well, in about two years, I'm, I'm going to lie to you and I'm not going to tell you where I really am or where I'm really going. You know, they don't do that. Nobody has that intention. Nobody stands there at the, at the altar and makes that vow and say, you know what? Sometime about three years from right now, I'm going to Facebook my boyfriend, my old boyfriend back in high school, and I'm going to start that relationship kind of talking back again. Nobody plans that. Those kind of things happen because people don't have healthy boundaries. And I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes. How do you grow stronger by making sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're protecting your marriage? Stephen, how do I protect my marriage? There's so many ways, especially in our culture, that we need to be wise to the technology, to the day that we live in, and we need to protect our marriage at all costs. Because it doesn't have to be that way where you mess up. You can put boundaries in certain places around your marriage, and you can protect your marriage if you're diligently protecting it. So, Stephen, you might want to write this down. Stephen, what's the number one way that I can protect my marriage? Here, write it down. The number one way that you can affair-proof your marriage. The number one way that you can affair-proof your... I should have put it as a bullet point. The number one way that you can affair-proof your marriage is invest in it. Start investing in your marriage. And I've already talked about that a little bit already with making memories and, and making little changes and talking more. But investing in your marriage is the number one way that you can affair-proof your marriage. So let me say that differently. When you're in a relationship and that relationship is good. So let me describe what that relationship looks like. You're talking to one another. You're passionate together. You're, you're, your life is full together. There's listening and there's talking and, and, and there's, uh, there's worship together and there's serving together and you're connected and you're enjoying life and you're traveling together and you're passionate. When you've got all these things together, there's really no room for somebody else. When you've got that kind of relationship and you're just being filled up by that other person, you don't, you don't even look. But, listen, but... When you're not talking, and when you're not listening, and when you're not investing in that other person, and when you're not worshiping together, or you're not serving together, or you're not traveling together, or you're not going deeper together, it leaves a void. It leaves a void in your life. And it's oftentimes in that place that, that some, something else tries to fill that void. Some other person might be a stranger, or it might be an old relationship, or it might be somebody that even that you know you work with or you go to church with. Uh, something else, can, you can want to start to fill that void because you haven't been investing the way that you needed to in your relationship. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable in that moment. So the number one way you have fair-proof your marriage is you invest in it. I like to tell couples this. Where is the grass always greener? Answer the question. Not on the other side of the fence, wherever you water it, right? Where is the grass always greener? It's not on the other side of the fence, guys. It is wherever you are watering it. So you have to invest time and energy in your marriage. And that's one of the ways you affair-proof your marriage, all right? Now, the second way, 
You didn't even know I was going to come up with this one. The number one way to affair-proof your marriage is invest in your marriage. But the number two way to, to affair-proof your marriage is create healthy boundaries. Create healthy boundaries. Now, in my world, this is kind of how that operates. Um, I'll give you one little, one little example of a very simple boundary. I have made it so that my wife understands that at any time she can track me on her phone. Now, it's not like a little goofy thing. My wife does it, okay? She does it. She knows where I'm at. You know, if ever that phone messes up, I'm going to get a call. Why are you off in the woods? I don't know, but, but this is where I am, okay? And then and, and she'll, you know, she'll track me, okay? And that's quite all right because I've told my wife I, don't, I won't be somewhere where I won't want you to know that I'm there. Here's another thing. I let my wife know she can read every email I ever send. There's not a person in this room you've ever received an inappropriate, suggestive email to me. It just doesn't happen. I've told my wife that she can read any text that comes across my phone. The way I text out to people or the text that they bring to me, she has full access to my phone. Now, what are you doing there? You see, <laughs> my wife and I had a talk about this a long, long time ago, and, and I made a commitment to her. I told my wife, I want you to be able to read my email, my texts, and know where I am. And I want to, if in any moment you read any of those, not only would you feel good and strong in our relationship, it would actually affirm who I am as your husband. Now, what am I saying? The number two way to affair-proof your marriage is create boundaries that keep you Make sure you act a certain way and don't go outside those boundaries, but also kind of protect you from other people because there are people who would want to mess your relationship up or cause you to get off mark. Read a scripture with me. And let me tell you, this is kind of a cool scripture because, um, and by the way, I messed it up on your outline. Um, I'm the one who types those up and I messed it up this week. But uh, when they were about to put it up on the screen earlier today, they said, certainly you don't want this up on the screen. I said, certainly I do. All right, so listen to this scripture from Proverbs 5, 8. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Proverbs 5, 8. Now, if you know Proverbs, this is, uh, this is Solomon writing, and in the first few chapters of Proverbs, he says, you want wisdom? Is this going to be about wisdom? Yeah, I'm going to pour some wisdom out on you. And he says, listen, I want to give you some wise things to know. And what he does is he's encouraging his son, those who would come behind him, his sons, to read and understand wisdom. And one of his pieces of wisdom is, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. He's talking about a temptress. He's talking about a woman who can seduce him and pull him away from the love of his life. And so here's what he's saying. And notice what he is not saying. He says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door. So what he's saying is, don't kind of walk by the door. Don't go knock on the door. He's saying, listen, for you, you don't even go near the house. You get yourself on a path that goes a totally different way. You can't even see the rooftop for where the house is. You keep yourself away from her, and you won't be tempted to slide and fall away. Are you hearing the wisdom there? What, what Solomon is saying, and he's saying in little ways and in big ways, you and I have the ability to create boundaries that will protect our marriage, and we've got to get serious about this. Are you creating healthy boundaries? And sometimes, here's, here's what I pick up out of that scripture. There are some places in my life and in your life where I need to actively avoid anyone who is going to threaten my marriage. Actively avoid them. Stephen, you're a pastor. Can you do that? Yes, I can. 
I can create certain boundaries that I can not only help me behave and operate a certain way for my wife, but I can actively avoid somebody else who would take me off the path. So what are we saying here? We are saying the goal is to make sure we're faithful, right? God made us in the Imago Dei, the image of God. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God, the covenant. We are to be faithful in our covenant. One of the ways you do that is you invest in your marriage. Another way you do that is you put healthy boundaries around your relationship that keep you from even getting close, all right? One last scripture here real quickly. Mark 10, 9. Jesus had just gotten through saying the two will become one, and then Jesus goes on to say this. Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's just a reminder. God's plan is not separation. God's plan is not divorce. God's plan is that you would be protected and together and that nothing would separate you. I got to go a little bit quicker. A couple of things here. Five. Number five. Write this one down. Become an expert forgiver. Become, and if you want to grow stronger, and anybody in this room here, you can get stronger at forgiveness. All of us can. Become an expert forgiver. Now, forgiveness is, this is what you need to know about your marriage. You're going to get hurt. And in a marriage, in any relationship, you're going to be big things and small things that are going to hurt you. You're going to do wrong by each other at some point in your marriage, and you're probably going to do it several times. You've got to learn how to forgive big, and you've got to learn how to forgive quick, all right? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. What would it look like for you to become stronger as an expert forgiver? It means saying, I'm sorry quicker. It means examining yourself. It means, you know, not, as, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, not holding too tightly to a record of wrongs. Did you know when you hold tightly to a record of wrongs, you choke your marriage? Did you know that? So what you got to learn how to do is let it go. Let it go. Let it go. All right? You got to learn how to let it go. All right? You want to be an expert forgiver. One time, Peter, I, I, love, I love how this happened. The Bible says Peter pulled Jesus aside. It was almost like, I, I don't know that this happened, but I get the picture Peter had a beef with one of the other 11 guys, you know, and he pulled Jesus aside. Like people do at church sometimes, they'll pull me aside and say, hey, that person's getting on my nerves, you know. Yeah, people here at Harvest Point really don't do that. But, but the truth of the matter is Peter pulled Jesus aside and says, Jesus, I, I need to ask you something. When somebody sinned against me, how many times do I forgive him? Maybe he'd forgiven this person and forgiven him. Maybe he'd gone to what he thought was the edge of it. How many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? Seven times? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, not seven. Now, I like to add a dramatic pause there because I li I'm like Peter, like Peter, like, whoo, because I'm tired. I'm done of him, you know? And Jesus said, not seven, but 70 times seven. And what Jesus was saying was, listen, when you get to the end of you, what you think you need to forgive them anymore, listen, it's way beyond that because here, here's the deal. You need to forgive like your father forgave you. How did God forgive you? God forgave you completely. Listen to this one. Immediately. I'm so thankful he doesn't go, well, I'm going to think about that a little while. He didn't do that. You know, he forgives me completely. He forgives me immediately. And how about this one? He forgives me unconditionally. He lets me start again. And we need that in our marriages, guys. Don't you agree? Let me tell you. Hey, write something down. One of the best pieces. I was at a marriage conference and somebody said this, and I'll remember it for the rest of my days. It made sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. The person said, you might want to turn your outline over. Just got three points for you real quick. I could preach a whole sermon on this one, but I won't. He said, forgiveness is like oil to your marriage. 
And then he asked the question, what does oil do in your car? Have you ever thought about it? What does oil do in your car? The reason we put oil in your car, it does three things. It reduces friction, it reduces heat, and it cleans out the dirt. It reduces friction, it reduces heat, and it cleans out the junk. And can I just tell you for a minute, if in your marriage, if you will learn how to forgive quicker than you already do, no matter, you might already say, hey, I'm a pro. Hey, I'm saying become an expert. I'm talking about getting serious about being a phenomenal forgiver. If you learn how to do that, you will grease your marriage in a way that will be a beautiful thing. And listen, you will reduce friction, you will reduce heat, and you will get rid of old junk and old dirt between y'all. You just kind of let all the old record of wrongs go. Because when you hold on to an old record of wrongs, you are choking your marriage. So forgive, forgive, forgive. Last one. Got this one now? Six. Write this one down. Last one. And I love this one. God's opening my mind to this one right now. Remember this, that if you're in a marriage, if you're in a relationship, that you are the hands and the feet of Christ. You are the hands and you are the feet of Christ. You are God's hands and feet. Stephen, where are you going with that one? Well, here's the deal. <laughs> one time, Jesus was teaching, and he was in a crowd, and this guy, this guy raised his hand. He said, question, question, question. And Jesus said, okay, you. And his, the Bible says he was a kind of young lawyer. He said, Jesus, tell me the greatest command. All right, now you know this story, right? I hope you know this one already. He said, tell me the greatest command. And Jesus answered him with, even as a young Christian, this made all the sense in the world to me because I remember picking up the Bible one day and feeling like there was so much to learn. I couldn't learn it all. Lord, just tell me the number one thing. Well, that young lawyer that day said, what's the number one thing? And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, here's the number one thing. You don't do anything else. Do this one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said this. And the second great commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I tell you, listen now. Can I tell you that I've been walking with Jesus for the greater part of my life? I became a Jesus follower when I was 11 years old. I have heard that scripture. I have built my life on that scripture. I've heard it thousands and thousands of times. But when I hear that scripture, I normally don't hear it the way I need to hear it today. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, when I hear that, normally I think about that vertical relationship I have with God, and then I think about you. You're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. I'm going to love you like I love myself. That's my challenge. But let me ask you a question. Who is, just look at me, who is Stephen's closest neighbor? Is it the person that really lives at 139 Talon Place in McDonough, Georgia? Is that really my closest neighbor? Is it you guys because y'all are part of my church? Let me tell you a little secret. Let me Listen, let me tell you a secret. The closest neighbor that I have on the planet sleeps in the bed with me every night. If you are married, listen, I got a little secret for you. If you're married in this room today, listen, your spouse is the neighbor that's never going to move away. And it's always going to be in your business. How you like that one? And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because Jesus' command is twofold. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what that means for those of us in this room? It means we need to open our mind. For me, I know that. It means that I need to be very serious about who my number one neighbor is. Because my number one neighbor, her name is Julie. And i got to make sure I'm loving that woman like I love myself. And before I start thinking about all the other neighbors I got, 
I need to make sure I'm taking care of that neighbor first. And so what's the challenge here? The challenge is to make sure that for me and for you, we understand, listen carefully, that this is the command of God. It's not just a suggestion, it's a command of God. And at the end of my days, listen, one day I will stand before a holy, perfect God and He will ask me, did I receive the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus over my life? And I will say yes. But you know what I'll also give an account for? I'll give an account for all the people and all the talents that God put in my life. And one of the most important ones that I will give an account for is the relationship with my closest neighbor. It is so important that I build a strong marriage. A strong marriage. And I need to love her because I've been commanded to love her. And I want to stand before God and say, you know what? I loved her like I loved myself. And I bet you want to say that too. I bet you want to say I, was, I loved my neighbor and I loved them well. Hey, real quickly, six things. Put them, up, put them up all on the screen real quickly. If I ask you today to pick one of those where you could start, and you could say, you know, which one of these is the place that I could start and I could make sure this week I'm getting strong in my marriage? Just real quickly, which one of those would you pick? I just want to be quiet for a minute. Pick one now, pick one. You want to get stronger in your marriage, you got to do something, okay? You got to do something. It's not going to happen by accident. You got to do something. Start somewhere, okay? And again, I don't know about you, but let me just go back to where I began, the very beginning of the day, okay? Let me go back to where I began. For me, I, I don't want the disposable. I want the durable. For me, I, I, don't, I don't want the shallow. I want the deep. For me, I want decades. For me, I want a lifetime. And I want a strong marriage, not this weak, frail, insipid marriage. I want a strong marriage. I got to do something there. You got to do something. Let's do it together.